Welcome to The Impostress. The Impostress is hosted by me, Michael Knox, and Graham Drew, two rather insecure frauds who will be exploring the motivating and debilitating experiences we all have with imposter syndrome, with a sneaky suspicion that it might just be your superpower, if you let it. This is Weihan here. Graham asked me to do a quick two-minute introduction for this episode's imposterous creative, Alvin Teo. And I'm not sure if I can do this man justice in two minutes. Call it imposterception. When I see most episodes of imposters, I go, wait, what? This legend has imposter syndrome? Well, this is not that kind of episode because if there's one person who wears his imposters on his sleeve, it's Alvin Teo. He's the creative chairman of Naga DDB. He's the chairman of the Creative Council of 4As. He's the dad of three awesome kids and husband to Julie. But if you ask Alvin, hey, who's Alvin Teo? He'll tell you he's an unfinished product, an imperfect leader, a flawed creative. If you ask me, I'll always go back to the first time we met. And the first thing he told me when I asked, why do you want to hire me? He just said, I want to learn from you. Well, that was a great link bait but it was also the start of an amazing friendship and adventure. Every day was just a gambit of holding on to dear life, taking leaps of faith and believing that, hey, maybe something good can come out of it. Alvin's a force of nature and I've had the pleasure of seeing his superpower of imposterousness shape some amazing stories, narratives, experiences and ideas. I know you'll all enjoy the next 28 minutes. So take it away. speaking you are some of the best stuff apparently yeah, i was gonna say you need to capture that fabric software conversation <laughs> <laughs> the tropical paradise there he is hey hello elvin hello i'm okay i'm okay thank you for having me here man and more than a pleasure i was just saying it's slightly weird because um i know you really well and i'm, I'm more at ease being an idiot when i don't know people <laughs> It's okay. It's okay. We we all we all have permission to be idiots, so it's cool. Yeah, just, I'm, liking your, I'm liking your background. Is that home? Yeah, yeah. It's um. It looks, it looks heavily curated, actually. It's just like it's kind of just the right kind of messy, but in a really the right, way. The right low pack about that kitchen. Yeah, because yeah. I know that I'm going to be on on camera today, so I cleaned up a lot. <laughs> Maybe you could donate something for Graham to put on his shelves there. Oh, sure, sure. Yeah, yeah. Helps you, helps me. Okay, man. Anyway. So, so Alvin, I mean, apart from it being a thinly veiled excuse to chat to people a lot cleverer than us, this podcast is all about digging into that weird, strange feeling of unbelonging that seems to strike us creatives. Well, the best of us anyway. Now, I've known you for quite a while. You've been very kind to me when I first came here. And, but as CCO at Naga, and a real genuine leader of the industry here in Malaysia. I mean, you've been here for, I think, 20 years, is it? Something like that. If anyone's earned the right to feel like they belong, you know, earned the right that, you know, you probably do know what you're doing, you must feel pretty comfortable here, right? Um, 
I don't know, when I saw the description of me as being a genuine leader, that made me feel really uncomfortable. <laughs> I'm not so sure about that. But yeah, um, I try to fit in. I try to find um, home where I set my foot at. Um, I try to feel comfortable. Sometimes it feels a little bit awkward, but we try. When you start to feel comfortable, is that when you actually feel most awkward? I think so. I think it's, it's, it's a weird feeling, right? I think feeling comfortable is feeling that you have the permission to be yourself without being judged. And that's where the problem lies, right? Because I think, I'm, I'm not sure if this is a, a universal thing, but you always feel like you're being judged. And the higher you climb, um, you know, with bigger titles and all that kinds of stuff, right? You feel that you owe it to your audience to say something smart. And that makes you feel really uncomfortable because you're not sure if you're able to deliver on that. And you always have this thing at the back of your head that tells you that don't waste people's time. Um, time is precious. Respect your audience, whoever these people are. And, and there's this huge conflict there that just doesn't give you a peace of mind. And you just feel like you're on edge all the time. And I think comfort for me is that you've gotten used to feeling on edge and you've made that your friend. And it's such a weird state of being because it's like, I don't know, it's not the exact description of being comfortable. So you're, com you're comfortable being uncomfortable sort of thing. It's, it's messed up. I'm not sure if I'm the only one on the planet that feels like that. But yeah, no, I think I think it's a great definition of where we are. It is yeah. about getting comfortable with being uncomfortable, isn't it? Because you can't yeah. deny it; it's there. Yeah. Yep. So you either get used to it or go slightly insane. Maybe we do a bit of both. Yeah. So let's rewind a little bit. So you're Malaysian, but you studied your craft quite far away, right? You went off to San Francisco, I believe, and that's yeah. quite a trip. It's quite a trip from KL, and also something pretty uncommon back then i mean i bet you didn't see many fellow malaysians out there what drove you to go there what drove you to study abroad and you know um, what did you get from it i think um what what got me to san francisco is not um by any means a vision that i had or a desire or a dream i mean i was clueless when i left school when i finished my spm which is icsge or something like that right when i finished my spm i almost failed and I realized that, oh my God, I just messed up my entire future. And I was, I remember I was sitting on the roadside outside of my high school and I was just staring at the sky and thinking, what the hell am I going to do with my life? And lo and behold, at the bottom of my feet, I saw this um, washed out brochure for an art school. It's like divine intervention. And I picked it up and it's like, you can barely read it because it's been exposed to the elements. And it said, there's, there's this thing called an art school and I'm, to my ignorance, I never knew that art schools existed. I'm like, oh my God, maybe this is what I should do because you don't need to study. You just do art. That's what I was thinking. And so I enrolled myself in, in art school. And, and through that, I found out that they had a twinning program in San Francisco, but I never considered going because I've always felt um, guilty about taxing my parents. Um, you know, they're struggling. They're trying to make a living. They're trying to make life comfortable and I never wanted to impose that dream on them. So I, I went out to work for like almost three years as an FA artist and a designer and a suit all in one. And back in a day where, you know, the ancient days of using cow gum and both sets and, you know, remember those things. 
And I was just happy earning my 350 ringgit a month. You know, I had enough to eat chicken rice at night, and take the minibus home and maybe a packet of CDs every now and then. And I was just happy and I had just enough money to buy a paper bag at the end of every month. And life was just simple. And my dad, who had a vision of the future and said that you can't live life like this. This is not sustainable. Where are you going in life? And he was just being dead and he was just nagging me and asking me all sorts of questions that I had no answers for. And he says, one day I've saved up a lot of money and I insist you go overseas and I'll go pick your school. And I was so moved. I was so touched and I was filled with guilt. But um, he's, he's, he made up his mind and as a good Asian son at the age of 21, <laughs> we said, I said, okay. And I went back to art school and, and, and I found out about the twinning program and all that kind of stuff. That's how I ended up in San Francisco it was not by, by design, you know, it was, things just fell into place. Uh, so yeah, that's San Francisco for me. Well, what does that experience teach you? Taking a bit of a risk to a degree to take that step into a whole new culture, whole new country to and, and you, you know, you mentioned that guilt yeah, I know. Drove a bit, <laughs> drives a bit of that. But what does that teach yeah. you now looking back at that? I loved it. I mean, if I could go back again, I'll do it all over again. I think what San Francisco did to me, like this insulated um, Malaysian Asian boy who's never seen much of the outside world, it really opened my eyes because it's not so much of what the art school it was, not so much the exposure to the classes, but it was exposure to the culture to the music, to the art, to the books. I, I One of my favorite places in San Francisco is a second-hand bookstore called Green Apple. And I found out that Amy Tan, the one who wrote Joy Luck Club, would hang out there and, and do some reading and do her research and all that kind of stuff. So I, you could almost feel the spirit of um, creativity everywhere you went. Um, I would go to a, a pizza place or a cafe that Francis Ford Coppola, legend has it that he sat on that particular chair when he wrote the Godfather, right, series. And I wanted to put my ass on that same chair and feel that vibe and capture that. I think it was that kind of exposure that really like, I, I don't know, it's it's almost, it. you know, in the beginning I said that you needed permission to be confident. People, you need to find, right? And I think when you go to a culture where everything feels creative and new and very refreshing, it almost feels like you're given permission to explore things and to ask questions that you never asked. Um, before. So San Francisco did that for me was, I think I picked up a lot of the vibe outside of school, outside of class, because I was all over the place. I was, and I, and I made friends with a lot of homeless people. I never seen so many homeless people before um, until I went to San Francisco. And because I worked night shift in a restaurant, they would be outside. And I remember like my most memorable conversations were with homeless people. And they will tell me so many things about their past lives and their dreams, their hopes, their fears, their, their frustrations. And that really opened up my mind also, you know. I mean, I was even volunteering to look after their spot if they needed to go to the toilet, you know. Or, you know, And I would sit there and, and, and hope people would drop little quarters into whatever container they had. And that kind of experience is amazing. It really opened up my mind to the art scene also because there were so many indie movies, lots of music. I heard music that I've never heard of before, bands that I've never seen, never thought they could exist. And I think it was just great. It was a great one and a half years in San Francisco. Yeah. So a lot of that is about you putting yourself in um, someone else's seat, be they Francis Ford Coppola or a homeless person. 
Yeah, and, and, and kind of imagining their life from there. Do you think there's a lot of power in that kind of being on the outside looking looking in? I, I, we have conversations on here about that a lot, about this, the power in being an outsider. Yeah, I think so. I think being an outsider that 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 is being sucked into someone else's shoes even for that moment, right? I think it's it's really, really great. I think it's also teaching you to really listen to people or to, to kind of like imagine what the vibe is. I think imagination is such a powerful thing. And and even sitting on the same chair where Francis Ford Coppola, I mean, obviously you do not literally absorb his creativity. I wish it was that easy. You know, then I would just find just all- Just being there is enough. Yeah, I just plant my ass in every great, <laughs> in great person's chair. And then, you know, I would, a year from now, I'd be like a, a deity or something. Um, but you could, the imagination takes over. It makes it, it almost welcomes you say like, wow, you're sitting in the same chair that wrote the Godfather, right? The, the person that wrote the Godfather. What is that like? What was going through his head? And that's when your imagination starts to open all these doors in your head and it helps you to dream, right? And I think that kind of helps you overcome whatever non-confidence or whatever that you have because all this curiosity and all this inspiration, I think it's it's great little, I don't know, it helps you climb to a higher level. Yeah, until you get rejected, then that's another story. But, you know, it starts off with this dream, with this curiosity, with this little childlike inspiration, right? And I think that's what San Francisco did for me. Yeah. I like this, I like this, this, this theme of getting comfortable with being uncomfortable because it, it, it all feeds into confidence, which is kind of a lot of what this whole thing is about, which is that in order to gain confidence, you have to be able to put yourself in uncomfortable situations, into foreign situations. And the more that you do that, the more you put, your in places, put yourself in places where you're not confident and you're less comfortable, the better you're going to be at dealing with those sorts of plagues of self-doubt that you've had because you've got, you've got used to it. So I think, you know, so much of the themes of what we talk about is just getting out of the comfort zone. And some people just instinctively want to do that, even if it's scary. Yeah. I think that that's, that feels like a key thing to do. And going off to San Francisco when you're 21 without knowing anybody, putting yourself in the seats of people you don't know. I think that's, that's probably been a real key to unlocking a lot of your imagination and stuff like that, hasn't it? Seems to be. Yeah. I think the other thing that I also discovered, right, um, about putting yourself in, stepping out of the comfort zone. Um, I know we are in a day and age where we celebrate choice. Um, we need we need to give people the freedom of making decisions. We need to give people the freedom of choice. We see that as a means of respecting the dignity of the person or whatever. It's big words that we use, right? But I have, I have another point of view. I think sometimes it's good not to have choices. And sometimes, like, I mean, as Asians, right, we do suffer from a lack of confidence for whatever reason, right? And I feel that a lot of people, not many people would voluntarily step out of the comfort zone and discover an, an awesome version of themselves that they, they never met before, right? But I think if you're forced to do it, if you don't, you don't give people a choice and you make the decision for people, like, you don't have a choice, you're going to step out of the comfort zone, I'm going to put you here now, get shit done. And that's where they discover, because if you give people a choice to decide, they won't. That's, mm-hmm. that's you know, because it's, you know, in, in, we face this situation where we, we what, what's the word, fight or flight? 
I think it's it's human nature for us to run away from things that we're not comfortable at. But if somebody says, no, I'm sorry, I'm going to put you here. This is your job. Get it done. You have to face this client. You've got to do this. You've got to try that. And then you discover that you actually have so much of talent and gift that is undiscovered and untapped. Not giving people a choice sometimes is the best choice. <laughs> yeah. And, and, and I think that helps with confidence. I think confidence is also engineered. It doesn't come naturally for most people like me. I think a lot of whatever success that I have, um, whatever failures, I'll just leave that aside. I think a lot of success that I had is because somebody put me in a position that I would not have made the decision to go into. And I was forced to do it. I was forced to, I was kind of forced to go to San Francisco. If given a choice, I wouldn't. I was forced to become ECD because my ECD left and you know, I was the most senior person and I never wanted to be ECD in my life. You got to be out of your mind to be ECD. I was just happy being a senior art, you know, and but yeah. of circumstances dictated that you didn't have a choice and that's where you discover that you could. And because you could, that kind of like helps you become just a little bit more confident. Does it get easier? No. <laughs> I'm afraid not. <laughs> you, you get know, better at hiding it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you get yeah, that's that's where you become the imposter, right? But I mm -hmm. think yeah, it doesn't get easier. And ironically, it's because the more you know, the more you know you don't know, right? And the more you know you don't know, it it kind of eats into your confidence again. So it's it's this, I don't know, it's this paradox thing, man. It's this yeah, it's there's, a, there's an interesting build on that though. I mean, I completely agree. Like, you know, there's this saying which I'm going to get wrong, which is that the wisest man realizes that he knows nothing, something like that. You know, which is that the more you know, as you say, the more you don't know. But the build on that is that, and what's something that's helped us is that you then realize that actually nobody else knows either. You know, a lot of, <laughs> I think that, that was a big penny drop for me, which is that you look around, you know, you're on juries or you're at network meetings or whatever, you think, God, everyone really knows what they're doing. What the fuck am I doing here? <laughs> but actually everyone else is thinking pretty close to the same as that, actually. It's just an appreciating and realising that really, nobody really knows. Yeah. It's actually a really useful thing to just realise yourself, I think. I think you just strike goal right there. I think I think as you grow older and as you advance in your career and all that kind of stuff, you meet all sorts of people who are your peers or people who are more senior than you or people who are you worship as a deity because it's done awesome work. And it really helps. You're absolutely correct that somebody shows a sign or something that yeah, I, I don't I've I've not gotten anything figured out either. Sometimes it's Sometimes you can see through the bullshit, which is great. But sometimes when you get to know them a little bit better, right? And they're more honest with you and they share their fears and, and their failures, right? And you feel, you know, you feel, I feel almost guilty because I feel happy. I'm like, wow, that dude, <laughs> he just admitted that he's a fool. And I feel so at home in, in that situation and realize like, oh man, it's like, yeah, you're absolutely correct. We, we don't all have all the answers and maybe the question now comes back to who's the most confident, right? Who's the most, who's the most guy with the most conviction about his ideas, even though it's, it's, if it's flawed, 
And, and I think so. I think so. And because uh, because everybody's fighting a battle that you know nothing about, right? And yeah. I think that's that's the truth of nearly every situation for it. Um, Michael, you got a question? Thing, haven't you? Yeah, I wanted to ask um, Elvin about. I I think we've all seen the headlines in various trade press, etc., that will say something like Asia is rising, um, and we'll talk about the past ten years, and there's been a lot of change. Um, in the markets, the various markets, and to a degree it does still feel like it stands sometimes in the shadow of, I guess, the US or, or Europe. Do you think a lot of that comes down to the world's understanding of, of culture and um, what is actually going on? Is the level of work and how it's awarded and critiqued and accepted to do with understanding? Yeah, Maybe to somebody, that's a really tough question um, to answer because there's so many things happening all at once. Um, Asia rising in terms of advertising, I think some Asian countries are holding pretty well on their own, but but because I'm Malaysian, maybe I'll just speak from a Malaysian context. I yeah. think we are struggling in that area. And there's so many reasons why we're struggling. Number one, maybe it's a confidence issue. Number two is... I think we are only allowed to go as far as um, our audience allow us to. And if you compare, let's say, Western society to Malaysian society and how we think and how we react to things and how we figure out things and our points of view, you can see there's, there's a huge difference generally. Um, and I don't mean to demean my own society in any way, but I think generally speaking, a lot of us Malaysians and maybe some other Asian countries, we are not thought we're not our education system if i can put my finger there right we're not taught to think about having a uh, we're not thought about having an opinion we are always given answers this is right and this is wrong this is black and this is white memorize this memorize this and you're going to do well everything is true black and white and right and wrong there's no critical thinking maybe now there is but when i was in school there was none of those things so we were raised in a culture where there's, when you say something, it's either right or wrong, and you'll be judged for that. Imagine if you're raised in that condition, right? When you go for a meeting, when you go and brainstorm, when you present stuff, when you have dialogue with people, you are automatically at the back end already because everybody is just opening up their minds and they're not afraid to speak and to explore. They're not afraid to fail. They're not afraid to say things that might make them sound dumb. But for us, we have this low self-esteem issue because like, what if we say something and I feel like, a, and, and I'll be seen as an idiot. What if I say this and, and people will judge me as, as you know, bringing no value to the table. So we go through this internal battle, right? And that's why I think our ideas, our creativity and everything that we do suffers to some degree because we're pulling ourselves back out of fear, fear of being judged, fear of failure, so much of fear, right? And you can't do, I think, you can't progress with so much fear. There's so much of self-censorship happening uh, in us. And that's us as ad people. What about our audiences, right? And I mean, I'm part of the audience that I'm trying to speak to. And so the acceptance level of ideas and things that challenge their minds and all that kind of stuff, it's kind of like restrained. And many times, right, we can only do as much as the audience allow us to because we are a slave to our audience, right? Um, to some degree, right? We can't speak. Mm. And so many times we go into meetings and we present stuff or we do research that, oh, that, that, that cursed word, <laughs> you know, go for a, 
what you call those uh, where, where, where you have a bunch of people review your work right you know so concept time. testing yeah oh. yeah exactly, exactly oh my god and so many times we've we've been told uh, again and again like your ideas are too clever that's too mm. smart people won't get it people won't get it people won't get it right and I know I remember a quote from Ogilvy, right? It says that the audience is not stupid. It's your mom, your dad, your, your child, your neighbor, whatever. Right? To some degree, it's true. But when you sit through some of these reviews and you talk to people, right, they really don't get it. And so we are at this place where like, okay, where's the boundary? Where's the parameters of creativity and ideas? And, and how do you stay true to being relevant to your audience at the same time pushing that boundary so I think we are in that that middle section there. We are, we are not, I don't think we suck. There's a lot of talent that is uh, in, in Asia that is maybe untapped, right? And a lot of potential. But where's that boundary? I think we're still trying to find that answer. I, I don't think we've discovered it yet. We're still trying every day and falling down and getting up and falling down. And maybe yeah. that's the reason why we're kind of lagging behind um, more, more progressive countries. Uh, if I could use that term without disres- being disrespectful, um, in terms of ideas, yeah. So how then do you uh, keep your team, if you like, your agency, the people that you work with, the people that work around you, believing? What's the what's the trick to belief then, given those potential barriers? Um, I think like is belief the antidote for, for fear? I guess yeah. that's what I'm wondering. The first thing we do is the leaders have to walk the talk. I mean, if we want to talk about belief, we have to exercise that belief to some degree because people feel the vibes. And, you know, especially if you work with the Gen Zs, they have this special ability to detect bullshit, right? And I love it. I, I love that about them. And so you have to be, you have to convince yourself to be convicted of your own beliefs. So that, that's the first thing. I think the second thing, right, is to look outside of advertising. Um, a lot of, I think one of the, one of the things that doesn't, don't allow us to discover how good we are, whatever thing is, we confine all our ideas and creativity within the walls of advertising. And I think there's a lot of opportunities outside advertising. Um, so what we've done in the past is like, um, um, we looked at problems and situations in the country and said like, in your own, in, in, in your own capacity, what can you solve? So like, for example, um, after, I think there was two elections ago when racism was just very rampant on social media in Malaysia. People were just, I don't know, they were saying things that is really horrible, like incredibly racist things and violent things, right? And we realized that there's a great split in our society. It's always been there, but it's never been so rampant and so transparent on social media. It's crazy. And we saw a spike. I think it was after general elections, 13, G13. And so what we did is like, I got a bunch of guys in, in the agency said, let's take two, three hours off. What can you do in, in our own uh, capacity to address this issue? And so what we did is, how can you harness the power of creativity to just blunt this, I don't know, this all these racist things that's happening. And I just paired people of different races together and we started writing poetry about friendship and unity and, you know, finding similarities in our differences and whatnots, right? And I paired Chinese and Malay, just different races, people with black cards, and we just went out on the streets. And from that little experiment and from the response we got, walking around Klanajaya, where we work, and we took it to KL, we took it to Bukit Bintang, we took it to the city, we took it online, 
we went to the, the night stalls called the Mamak stalls. We got different people to sing songs together and just pair different races of people to, to just demonstrate that people can be friends. Um, you know, it, it doesn't matter if we are different, but we all come from the same land and we have same beliefs about, you know, we cherish our future, our children. I think getting people to see how creativity can work outside the realms of advertising, and solving some of these issues and getting really positive response from, from the public. Um, I think that's, that helps people see that, you know, everything that I do in advertising is not the be all and end all of creativity. You could take it elsewhere. You can do so many things. And we encourage people to do personal projects. You like typography, go pursue it. If you like poetry, go write it. I want to see your poetry. If you if you like to write a book, you know, show me. Let me critique it. You know, paint and draw. Go into art exhibitions. Um, you know, and 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 now I think we have this great opportunity because a lot of the doors have been opening in Asia, right? Like, why can't we create mini series or write your own feature films? You know, Disney Plus, for example, are looking for ideas every August. If you could get your way in, um, you know, the internet has provided a platform for your creativity. I think it's about looking for those opportunities and, and, and I think also it's about being accountable for your own creativity and your own um, dreams. You know, you don't always have to say, ah, the client didn't allow me to do that. My ECD is an idiot. Um, you know, the agency culture is dead. We always tend to blame people for, um, the lack of our own success. But if we took ownership of our own success, I mean, you know, it's like an Under Armour ad, hashtag I will, I will trump fate. I will not let, I, I will not um, let fate have the last say. I will, right? And you find a way and there's always a way. And if you could build an agency culture where you encourage people to look for these nuggets, I think that's how you build on those beliefs and, and every time you succeed, right? You you go up a notch in the confidence level, you know. Yeah, making making is definitely believing, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. You know, making something is actually real proof that you believe, and it yeah. spreads belief. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Is that is that where the um, is that where we solve it? Is that where we get the confidence from, which is actually empowering people just to make stuff? Do you think that's where it starts? Because so much of it is. It's easy to give up on a project, right? I mean, one of the things that we often talk about is that it's not about ideas. Anyone can have an amazing idea, anyone. Yep. Actually making the thing is 10 times harder, right? We've all got bottom drawers full of thousands of good ideas. Yeah. But it's the making that actually is the craft, I think. you know, Making is the craft. Coming up with it is just not that difficult, actually. Mm. Um, so is it that we don't make enough? We just sit and pontificate too much. Yeah, exactly. We think a lot. We start mm. to, maybe we, I mean, through thinking, we do have self-doubt, right? I think maybe there's this other thing that, that, that we have inherited in the world of advertising. We always feel that we're being judged. So when we go for award shows, it's, you know, the judges, you, you, you present your stuff in a conference room that's full of people judging you. So you, even if you had something that's really authentic and beautiful, you are judging yourself and not allowing it to come out. And I think we should do that more often. And the other thing that is a very practical advice for myself anyway, is like, I want to do everything all at once and you know, nothing gets done. I think the secret is to pick one thing and do yeah. it well and just do it for one year. 
whatever that thing is, just craft the hell out of it. Just get it done. Because I think the joy and, and, and you know, the, this confidence that you get is to see things coming to life. It's, it takes flesh. You need to see that. You need proof points. You need to experience that thing coming to life. And that helps. A lot of the, a lot of the um, problems that we have also is like, for me personally, I've got a ton of projects and all of them are half done. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so speaking of about discipline, I think it starts with me. You know, I, I have I have discipline issues. I want to do everything and nothing is finished. And that doesn't help in my confidence. Yeah. I, I like that though. I like the fact yeah. that you're coming. I mean, I, I don't think we've had that conclusion before, that yeah. conclusion around you just gotta fucking make it. Yeah. yeah. I, I think every creative, and especially the more senior you get, because you don't know that there's an inherent doubt as well of like which one's going to make it which one's going to be good so you try and sort of hedge and you try and oh you don't want to kill ideas that's the other one as well right we've we've all heard that the real discipline of being a creative leader is killing your babies right is knowing that actually you just don't have the bandwidth and the power to make all of the things and you just need one you just need one no matter the size of your agency or the number but you just need one you need one great thing and what so often happens is you end up with about five or six, nah, all yeah. right, kind of. <laughs> you know, that you never there. do anyway. Yeah. That you never, yeah. you never do anything with and <laughs> make or finish. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah. If you're lucky, you have four or five or six okay ones. Sometimes you don't have any. But yeah. Yeah. actually, if we could just have the discipline within ourselves and with our teams to go, this is the one, this is the one, this is the one. Stop it, shut up. This is the one, this is the one. <laughs> if you could do that, I think it would make a huge difference. Um, and you need a concrete deadline. Don't, yeah, don't, don't have like an elastic deadline. You know, creatives, right? You give us an elastic deadline, we'll just push it all the way. And three years later, it's not done yet. Yeah, that's I ask that my tombstone yeah. reads more time, please. <laughs> Thanks, Alvin. Great talking to you. Great to meet you today. Cheers, Alvin. All right. Take care. Thank you. Thank you. Have a good day. Bye. You too. The Imposterous is produced by Andrew Stevenson at We Love Jam Studios, the best music and sound house in Australia. The theme music that you're listening to now was created by Hilton Mode of the same company. If you would like to catch up on the other episodes in this series or previous, visit theimposterous.com. For all other updates or to make contact, follow us on Instagram at the underscore imposterous.